because you've already coped with an adversity, you've learned within yourself that you have that capacity. But also it comes down to self-reflection, like the ability to look at yourself and see what you're doing and be your best supporter, but also be able to say, hey, that didn't work, try it again. Hello, it's Andrew May and welcome to another episode of the Strive Stronger podcast. Today's guest is Dr. Nicola Gates, who is a self-described brain nerd. Dr. Nicola is a leading clinical neuropsychologist, neuroscience researcher and best-selling author. She has worked in brain and cognitive health and well-being for over 25 years and she translates complicated theory. I can tell you, I see some of it, it's highly complicated. I don't understand a lot of it, which is why I'm so glad Nicola is the consultant to government bodies and services, private corporations and businesses and not me when it comes to all this stuff around neuroscience. You see her regularly on the TV, hear her on the radio and read her in print magazines. On top of this, Dr. Nicola is the Strive Stronger neuropsychologist and she's an amazing sounding board and co-presenter with me on a number of our corporate well-being and leadership programs, including Mental Skills Academy. Nicola, we're going to talk about that today. Big introduction. I could have done a whole lot more. Welcome. It's great to be here, Andrew. And you know what? I like the name, um, the brain nerd. I think that's the best way to sum up my contribution. First time I've heard you say that, we did a Brady Bunch type video where we had all of our staff for 30 Day Boost, which is a program we're doing now to help businesses, small businesses, government agencies. And it's the first time I've heard you say that and everyone cracked up laughing. You said this to me last week in a meeting and I've been thinking, it's been rattling around in my monkey brain, Dr. Nicola. We catch up and there's so many open loops and I think about it. But this one, you said mental health is not just mental illness. I think that's such a poignant quote. Let's explore that. And we're going to talk about training mental skills. We're talking a lot about mental skills. Brain nerds love mental skills. And we've got a mental skills academy that we are going to talk about with 12 essential mental skills. And uh, Q Wizard, we'll get Archie in. So I'm going to get my 10-year-old son in. We're going to try and make some game show entertainment engagement on a podcast, Nicola. It'll either work really well or it might fall <laughs> abysmally, but we'll give it a go. But before we do that, mental health is not just mental illness. Can you please pick up on that? Thank you, because it's so important because people often hear the word mental health and they automatically think of mental illness, depression, anxiety, schizophrenia and things like that. Mental health actually means not having those things. So it's just it's a shame that in some ways it's got that sort of negative connotation. And I like to explain it like you're in a boat. And, you know, if you've got a mental health issue like stress or overwhelming issues where it's become anxiety or depression, your, your boat's leaking and you need psychological therapy or psychiatric assistance or something to plug the leaks of your boat. So you've got your boat and, you know, and let's face it, a significant portion of the population will experience a leaky boat at some point in their life. So you need the skills and the assistance to help you plug the leak. But the thing beyond that, is what people don't allow themselves to do. So they've plugged up their boat, but then they're sitting in a harbour and they're not going anywhere, which means, you know, you're, you're just sitting there waiting for the next storm. So you get more leaks in your boat. The idea is to plug the leaks in your boat and then you need to put the wind in the sails so that you can go across and have a journey and reach your goals and have the wonderful adventure called life. So it's really important to operate at both levels. So, you know, we need to give people the skills and things to make sure that they don't get overwhelmed by stress and develop things like anxiety and depression. But when we need part two, which is, okay, what's next? How do we really make people flourish, self-actualize, grow, and have really better relationships and so forth? 
I sent a friend of mine in sport this morning, the split end song, um, a link to the YouTube clip, Six Months in a Leaking Boat. I said, Thomas, I'm not going to sing that because I'll, I'll have people switching off from the podcast, but we'll play that while I'm chatting. Uh, is Six Months in a Leaking Boat, is that what a lot of people in COVID will be going through? Will they feel like it's been six months in a leaking boat? I suppose the, the, the point of bringing that in, what what's too long in a leaking boat? When do you move beyond managing this yourself in a leaky boat? Well, I'd be suggesting if you find that you're in a leaky boat, you put your hand up straight away. And it doesn't have to be to a health professional, but let other people know that you're struggling. And that's one of the things that we know with this, with COVID is that more people are putting their hands up, which is actually fantastic because it means that there's less stigma attached to that asking for help, which is crucial. So I'd be saying as soon as you feel that you're sinking, you actually put your hand up. And with my clients, that's one of the things, you know, when they're exiting because they've got enough skills, mental skills and so forth to go off on their own adventure, that's one of the things that we do. We talk about how will you know when your boat's leaking and at what point will you re-engage with professional help again or, or not? So, yeah, as soon as you feel that you've got a leaky boat, fix it. Hmm. And in terms of how long, that's, you know, we're all we're all different and for some people they can withstand and endure a lot more than others there's no right or wrong in any of this it's about everyone taking that moment to look within themselves and say how am i coping today you know what are my needs today do what do i need to put my hand up or not Mm, love it i love that analogy as well for any split ends fans we're taking them down memory lane as well with that song i think it's important though because we're talking to a lot of different companies now banks insurance companies consulting firms telcos uh, government agencies, startups, everything in between all that as well. And and the, the commonality, here's what we're hearing. One is it's really hard working from home and the disruption to work. Are we at work? Are we not? What are the guidelines? It's gray. Uh, it, it's challenging. The second thing is just this psychological well-being. And, and you know, we're hearing this as well in our programs, Nicola, that people are talking about we need to focus on mental health. But I like hearing you say it's not just the leaky boat part. That's important. Absolutely. I'm not brushing over that. But this whole flourishing, psychologically flourishing, being in flow, connected, engagement, all these words, it's so important that we look at mental health, not just with a deficit model, but but looking at at all sides of the spectrum. Love it. And the other thing we're hearing that people need is fun, a bit of fun and play. It's yeah, you know, initially a lot of companies were saying, this is great. We're not going to have as much of a corporate uh, real estate footprint. We only need two floors rather than five. But that's what people are really missing because online, we know the research says it's twice as cognitively draining having a, a Zoom or a Teams meeting as it is face-to-face. I now change meetings like this, Nicola. I'm putting my finger down, bang, next meeting, bang, next podcast, bang. Whereas in the old days, we'd at least move. So I think that social glue is what people are really missing on top of the lack of play, on top of navigating psychological well-being and also working from home. Gosh, we need you. So what you're describing is that relationships, work relationships have become purely functional or transactional. So it's just about getting a job done. And when we're working with other people, and I mean in physical proximity, you have those other, the glue, but what is that glue? That glue is that that connection, feeling each other's energy. Now that does, I don't mean, woo, woo, oh my gosh, she's talking about energy. The fact of the matter is we do give off energy, right? And we we pick up on other people's energy, whether you're consciously aware of it or not, but you will be because that's, we're all interconnected. We're all sharing the same air. We're all giving off and receiving energy. And you're missing this connection. And humans are social beings. Like we are 
we are meant to be in physical proximity with people. We don't even have to talk to each other, but we are energized and share energy and so forth. And, and then we take it the next step because we have those water cooler conversations. I mean, I was just joking because um, with my husband, he's actually working in the dining room. My daughter's on the kitchen and I'm in, I'm in this room. And we're having, we're making water cooler conversations because we realized for our daughter in particular, who started her first professional job, and literally two months before lockdown, same thing. You know, she's missing out on some of that stuff. So we're trying, I mean, albeit daggy parents, those little aside conversations are so important to all of us, even if it's how are you? And, and you know, people say, well, everyone says that and it's habit. Well, you know what? It's still a nice habit. Hmm. It's a nice habit to have someone in front of us physically saying, how are you? Or how was your weekend? So it's, it, this is really, for a social or, um, organism, which we are, social animal, this is really challenging. Interesting you're talking about energy. I, I had the opportunity to interview Matt Formston in a panel recently. It was a bike ride ma- raising money for cancer. And Matt went blind at five or six years of age. So up until that time, he had full sight. He played rugby, representative rugby, blind up until 15 years of age. Amazing. He can go into a boardroom and he can tell who's listening, who's not. So if you're in the boardroom and you're looking at your phone, he just picks up the shift in energy and you mm. go, oh, Nicola, is there something that's not really connecting with you? And he said it just throws people massively, right? Because a guy who can't see, I think he's, he said it's like looking through a window and, and scratching the glass, closing your eyes. So it's, it's a little bit of light, but it, nothing like the vision that he had when he was five or six, but an amazing guy. And rather looking that, at that with a disability, he looks at it, it's given him a gift. And he talks about energy. He can feel energy. So when we talk about five senses, he says, no, there's six. Yeah. If there's six, there's probably seven. He will walk into a room and pick it up straight away. Amazing. Matt is now the world champion blind surfer. And he goes and surfs. He wants to be the first blind surfer to, to go in a massive barrel. Art, like, inspiring guy. Inspiring guy. We spoke about energy and playfulness. So let's bring him in. Arch. Archie's my 10-year-old we only just told him a few minutes ago, Nicola, because if I told him at the start, yeah, he would have been knocking on the door. So <laughs> we've got Todd. We're, we're in the office today to record the podcast. So I've got Archie. What we've done is Archie has cut up. If you're watching this on video, there's 12 essential mental skills. Come in, Arch, and join me. So Nicola and I have put together these 12 essential mental skills. Hey, Nicola, for context, I'll just explain the 12 essential mental skills for our listeners. Now, the first three are all around self-discovery. So the first one is storytelling. Second mental skill is personal identity. And the third cluster is all around energy management. Now, the next level of foundation skills is about staying calm under pressure and having a sense of belonging. So number four is being calm. Five is mindfulness. And six is connectedness. And the third category is what we call performance psychology, which is where we train the mind at that next level to perform consistently under pressure. The number seven is pre-performance routines. Number eight is mental imagery. Nine is all around focus, the opposite of distraction. 10 is optimism. 11 is drive. And mental skill number 12 is confidence. While we've categorized those from numbers one to 12, it's really important to emphasize that you don't just build number one, storytelling, and keep going sequentially until you get to confidence. You draw on the different mental skills when you need them in different parts of your day. So there's 12 essential mental skills. We've got Arch to cut these up. Now, Nicola, here's where we're going to have some fun. Archie's going to pick out three, and you and I are then going to focus on three. Perfect. How are you going, Archie? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Perfect. Thank you, Arch, for joining us. Can you pick out three and then hand it to me? Come here in the camera so we can see. Yep, so the first one is? 
drum roll. Do we need a drum roll? Ooh, first one's storytelling. Absolutely. Okay. Yep. Second one is connectedness. Ooh, Nicola's going to love that one. And the third one is, ooh, this is a bit different. This is one that when we first put together Nicola, we had some different views and then we spoke about oh. it and we came up with a really nice middle ground, pre-performance routines. So we've got storytelling, connectedness and pre-performance routines. Awesome, Arch. Go back and finish your schoolwork and we'll go for a walk <laughs> and play handball after. Thanks, Archie. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Bye. Bringing game show techniques to radio or to podcasting. So, Nicola, storytelling, connectedness, pre-performance routines. How do you want to do this? Where do you want to start? Do you want to take one, me take one or will we do it and unpack it together? I think we should do them together because we come at things from slightly different perspectives, but together it's very rich. Okay, awesome. Well, I might even just give a bit of context. Working with Parramatta and working with other athletes uh, around mental skills, as I said earlier in this interview, there's three things you can train. Number one, you can train your craft. That's your job or your sport. The second thing, we, we train our body. So it'd be foreign in a sporting team to say, oh, do you have a strength and conditioning department? Of course, the last 10 years that's been embedded. The third thing is you can absolutely train mental skills. Now, in the corporate world, in sporting world, it's largely been, oh, he's strong, she's not. She's powerful in her emotions. He gets had by his emotions and carry on. But rubbish, we know you can train the way you think. Uh, we know you can totally train the way you approach pressure, You know, lean into pressure rather than run away from it. So we started chatting, and while I've been back in the sporting world doing this stuff, and I just said, well, Nicola, what do you think? And you throw something around and went, oh, I think we should do something together. And you said, what are you, what are you, what are you thinking? I went, I think we need to create an academy around mental skills. What should we call it? <laughs> Bing, Mental Skills Academy. And then when we started exploring, we looked at those three levels. Self-discovery is about knowing you, your thoughts, and, and the basics around energy. The next level is all around staying calm under pressure and having that sense of belonging connection. And then the third level is the higher order performance psychology. And we both agreed that in performance and sports psychology, and, and I think even in, in, in traditional psychology, we often go to the what we consider the trendy stuff or what we've just learned, like neuroscience. Everything is neuro at the moment, right? Must drive you crazy because someone does a, a two-day course and they're suddenly putting neuro in front of their title. You've spent, you've got five degrees and 20 years of studying. But the point being, we go for the trendy stuff, the newer stuff first, rather than starting with building the base. So that's how we've built it. 12 essential mental skills. We have a calculator that people can do. They get a score out of 100 and it shows them where they are. We're not labeling someone. We're actually giving it to them, showing here's your strengths. Here's the areas you can develop. And you can train your brain just like a normal body part. In fact, we call it an iOS upgrade, like you do with your mobile phone, regularly plugging it in, getting an upgrade. You can do exactly the same for your mental skills. So just a bit of context for people, how we came about this. Anything else you want to add before we dive into the three? Well, I just think of it as mental skills. It's like having a toolkit to get you through life. Right, so each mental skill is in, a, in in your toolbox, and depending on what's going on, you may rely on some of the skills more than other skills. But you're going to need all of them at some point to help you get through this this wonderful gig called life. And I don't know whether it's just me because I'm living, breathing this like on a daily basis. But the Olympics, there were so many <laughs> examples, right? Oh yes. Like the men's 100 metres, the fastest before the Olympics was Bramel, the fastest qualifier, the Chinese athlete Su, came last in the final. And then Jacobs, who no one had heard of, hadn't even broken 10 seconds uh, in 2020, uh, comes out and runs a 9.8. So just 
unbelievable. And, and he talks about Jacobs, how he used to lose his legs it's in his Italian accent, but now he keeps his legs because he focuses on the mental side. So and that's just one. I could fill up this whole podcast with Olympics moments. Uh, Paddy Mills talk. Oh, I just get goosebumps. Right. Well, I'm going to, um, surprising, but I've gone, but I'm going to use a, an Olympic example as well. So if, if we think about the 12 mental skills, I think we should probably start at the basic level. And that's the storytelling. And I was actually talking to a client yesterday who was struggling a bit with um, substance misuse. And she admitted that she's very critical. And I said, well, that's what we call the inner narrative. It's the story you tell yourself about your life. And it's really important that that story is positive. It doesn't mean that you don't critically think about things as in like what worked, what doesn't work. So you still critique what you're doing, but it's got to be, you know, you've got to be your biggest fan and your greatest supporter. And, and I was thinking of an example to, to help this resonate. And I said to her, did you watch the Olympics? And of course, she said yes. And I said, well, did you watch the women's 1,600 metres? Because that woman who fell, right? Now, when she fell, um, I'm assuming people saw this, it was, it was in one of the heats. So she fell. And if she had a really negative, critical, self-destructive inner voice, her, it may have sounded something like this, oh, you idiot, you've fallen over, you've screwed this up, this is a once-in-a-lifetime chance, you've really blown it, oh, my gosh, you're a failure, you're a loser, this is terrible. Clearly, she didn't have that inner narrative voice because she got up and she won the race. Her inner narrative voice was obviously saying, you've got this, you've trained hard, this is yours, you can do this, it's okay, get up, you're going to win. So I just think that's a really powerful example of how your inner narrative can actually make you win the medals, or if it had been negative, it completely destroys your goals. When you find yourself having negative thoughts, first of all, it's perfectly normal. Like Nicola and I teach this. Do we have negative thoughts, Nicola? Absolutely. We've just got better at, first of all, recognizing them and then reauthoring or asking, why am I having this negative thought? So becoming the inner coach on this, and again, I've been doing a lot of this with athletes. When I first do it, Nicola, you know, when the negative voice comes in, first of all, just, just suspend. You know, Gordon Spence at Sydney University calls this the traffic light, you know, where you got we go from green to red, great or it's terrible, great or it's you know, good or bad, but an orange light, just pause, you know, mm. suspend. No and then judgment. Ask, yeah, why? Well, no judgment. Why am I having this thought? But where's the evidence? So you start to build a case around this, focusing on some of the stuff we have got. So there's a process where you can narrate yourself through. And it's really clunky when you start this. Journaling is amazing, has been shown to really fast track that awareness of inner voice. Uh, but even if you just catch your thoughts and be aware that, okay, there is stuff going on. I'm not feeling great, but you know, perspective is everything. What can I then do? So you can go through that process and steer yourself back out. Well, you may not feel great, but you might be a six or seven out of 10 rather than spiraling down to a two or a three. And Nicola, I think that's so, so important right now that people know that, look, having negative thoughts is perfectly normal, but thoughts are not facts. And dispute the thoughts, dispute the facts, where's the evidence? And over time, you can really coach yourself around it. And I love getting a message, normally from a male, because women go, oh, look, I know this, I've just got off it. Whereas guys go, oh, I didn't realize that. You get a text message, oh, this shit's really good, Maisie, just did this. And you can see that confidence, or uh, Banjuria would call self-efficacy goes up, when you start to be able to use this yourself. And that's the most important thing, right? Narrative. We're all amazing storytellers. Just don't let them carry you away, especially down that negative path. 
That's right. And it's not just, um, like you're saying, dealing with the, the short story about what's presenting to me now in this moment, but also that bigger background conversation you're having with yourself in terms of self-efficacy, which you've touched on, and, and worthiness and lovability. It's about crafting a story where you feel okay in your own skin, you have the belief to manage and, and move forwards. Because one of the things that happens is people become overwhelmed by their emotions. And, and rather than moving forwards and developing a conversation and, and I feel like identifying issues or problems or things that they, they can improve and fix, they just they stay in the um, uh, emotional place. And they, the, the narrative just becomes a conversation about emotion and feeling. Now, there's, our emotions are perfect. They all serve a purpose, but emotions are messages. Right? That's all they are. And sometimes we build a whole story around a message. Like it's like you see, I'll pick up on your stop sign. It's like you've stopped at the traffic lights and then the traffic light changes colour and you don't move forwards with the green light. You're still going, there was a red light, there was a red light, there was a red light, there's a red light. The, the emotion is the message and then you go, okay, I've got the message how do I go forwards in my journey with that information? So your narrative has to constantly be positive in the sense that it supports your strengths. No one's ever solved a problem with weakness. I mean, you don't say, oh, I need a builder, so I'm going to get an electrician. You know, we we solve problems and move forwards with strengths and they have our strengths. So it's about identifying your strengths and crafting a story that will propel you forwards in a way that's helpful and, and suspending that judgment. And, and being a neutral, and if you can dial it up a bit more to be a bit more of, a, of your greatest fan, even better. Dr. Gordon Spencer's choice points that Gordon talks about. Now, we could we could explore, and I want to go into personal identity and energy management. We'll be going for two or three hours. We are going to do a podcast as part of our Mental Skills Academy program, which when people do that, either our face-to-face option, Mental Skills Academy, three months, plus we've got a digital platform, but we're recording a bit of content for that. So if you like this content and you want more, go to andrewmay.com slash mental skills academy. You can find out how to bring Nicola to your work <laughs> and to your life on a daily basis. Let's go to connectedness. Yeah, one of my pet topics, isn't it? One of your pet topics, it's the last essential mental skill we put in because we had in that middle row on foundation skills originally being calm, mindfulness and breathing. And you said, Andrew, something's not right. And I said, mm, explain. And you said, communication is a mental skill. It's a trainable skill. And do you really need breathing? I was like, no, you can't get rid of breathing, Nicola. (laughs) I start, no, breathe, box breathing. She's going to kill my darling. I'm loving breathing. As Archie said, we do it at night with the kids and they, they they sleep so much better. Amazing, right? The kids, because they're in the same bedroom sharing and they often add each other. Every night we do calm and do some breathing. They go to bed. Everyone's so much better. We're all doing it now. It's wonderful. But we've now put breathing into a subset under mindfulness. And it's also important on being calm. But you won, and rightfully, um, on this conversation, because it's such an important thing. It's so obvious now looking at it. But connectedness, communication is a mental skill. It is. And communication isn't just about talking. It's actually about listening as well. So it's about being in actively present with another human being. And, and, and it doesn't even involve talking all the time. It can just be present. You know, giving your attention to someone and with that is time. So giving your attention to someone is, is a significant gift. And so we are, as I've already mentioned earlier on, and yes, um, we can always talk for a long time on all of these we are social beings and it's really important to be in positive, healthy relationships. You know, the research shows that a good relationship 
improves your life, you know, increases your immune system and helps you manage stress better. Toxic relationships obviously have the opposite effect, but our connection to other people is, is a skill. Managing conflict, you know, most relationships break down because of poor conflict resolution. All relationships have conflict, whether it's a, you know, a, a little aggravation or might be perceived as a little aggravation or, or a large and significant transgression. All relationships have conflict. So resolving conflict and, and communicating clearly is absolutely a skill that's essential for well-being and, and it's a mental skill for yourself. <laughs> How does a neuropsychologist go resolving conflict with her family? Now, you might say, Andrew, do not oh. ask a personal question. But like, did, did your family, because my uh, Mickey said to me, Dad, she said recently, oh, I got angry. I can't even remember what it was. But, Dad, use your mental skills. Oh, <laughs> like, okay. Well, no, I get, the, I get the opposite, actually, because um, – you know, as, as a psychologist, one of the things you do is you remind everybody that, you know, you're a good person, they're a good person, everyone's a good person. And it's the communication or the interrelating that's a problem. So my kids tease me now, they're in their 20s. Um, and I actually did this the other day. When there's a, a breach, a transgression, or an annoyance or whatever, but that needs to be vocalized, I will still get out a piece of paper. And I do little characters. I said, this is you. You're a good, gorgeous person. This is me. I'm a faulted person who tries to be good and gorgeous. You know, we've accepted that. This, And they just say, mom, not the drawings anymore. And I go, I'm just showing that this isn't about personal people. This isn't personal. This is a joint problem that we can walk around and poke sticks at and try and look at it from 360 degree angle and, you know, keep it manageable. And they just, they roll their eyes. So I don't get, bring on your mental skills. I get, oh, can you just, you know, just shout and swear and be normal? So yeah. people, are, most people obviously be listening to this, but we also make this available on a video cast. Those people who are watching the video will see you getting into character and animation when you're talking about that. I can just see you <laughs> doing that with your kids and then uh, going spare. But laughter is one of the best things to, as an antidote to stress. So in your way, whether it's a method or madness, you're getting them to laugh and have fun and get out of conflict. Nicola's nodding profusely. Hey, I've got one for you. I, I wanted to ask you this um, outside the podcast, but I'll share it now. A mate of mine I spoke with on Sunday, James Patterson, uh, with my first corporate gig when James was back with CB Richard Ellis 14 or 15 years ago. I met him um, when I was with the Australian cricket team and he booked me for my first corporate gig. And James has just got a new role, CEO of Knight Frank, and we're talking on the weekend, both walking to the bakery to get coffees. Uh, didn't get croissants or other stuff, did we, James? No. So phone meeting, having a chat on Sunday. He's just started as CEO of an organisation with about 1,000 people. Uh, and I said to him, how are you going connecting? You know, what, what are you doing to connect virtually? He said, oh, look, I'm looking at a whole bunch of things. He said, but have you got any tips? I said, oh, well, I'm actually catching up with Nicola this week a few times, so I'm going to ask you on the podcast. So for someone like James, who's starting at a new organization as a CEO, or there's you know, lots of people are starting, haven't seen colleagues, they haven't been in the office. How can you bring some of that connectivity or that glue, maybe give an example as a CEO or a leader, and what could a team member do to get more connectivity? Wow. Okay. And you can well, see why I handball to you. Well, yeah, but I'm thinking, gosh, give me five hours and I could come up with a really, you know, the answer is much bigger than the time allows, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And, I, and I'm not sure of all the constraints involved. But, you know, I was just liking this because, as you know, I'm an apiarist, so I keep bees. And one of the things is 
in beehives, if, if they get too big and the queen can't actually make contact with every member in the beehive, the actual hive stops functioning very well and it becomes quite dysfunctional and they may actually get another queen. So you might have an internal revolt. The, the old queen might actually leave and say, well, I'll just leave you to it and take some of her friends with her and go. So it's really, so human society is no different. A business organisation is no different. doesn't matter how big or how small it is. So it is really important to have those touch points, just like the queen bee. You know, you've got to have the touch points with all, all the workers um, in the system. So, you know, if you're new, obviously, that can be really difficult because there are already systems in place and you can get that resistance. You're the newbie and you're interview, introducing change. But just think of, you know, of, of, of connecting with everybody. So maybe you do a, a virtual Friday nights introduce you know introduction zoom that people can just just chit chat just so it's not formal but have like like the, it's like the water cooler conversation or friday night drinks or something like that just do something or do a, a virtual trivia night and you could get the difference a big organization you could have different teams across different departments within the organization and you know every department so they already have cohesion but you could be the quiz master or something so i'm just thinking of more social ways to connect in a, in a fun way because bringing joy and play is really really important and you know people relax in those situations so it's really easy less confronting way to to meet new people and for them to meet you if you make it well james will be happy because i had a cooking class with a celebrity chef last week and he said that was fantastic he emceed and he was trying to cook in his kitchen and made a disaster of it and was talking through so just tell him to get a couple of funny hats or something and be the quiz master and put you know just because if you can show that you don't think if you're not precious about yourself or something you know he changes hats depending on whether it's a geographical question versus something else question so it, his employees i mean he doesn't have to do this but what i'm saying is he's, he's showing his that Bring he's his human and he's open by changing hats and and he can be the quiz master or something i don't know and um and by allowing people to be in their departments they will feel familiar but he's still introducing himself in a way that's fun and brings joy now, do you remember the one topic that you've coached leaders on in our leader huddles that has had more positive feedback, more interaction than any other thing you've taught all of our clients in the last 18 months online? Are you asking me to guess? Yeah. Which one? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I kind of started thinking post-traumatic growth, but I'm not sure. No. Oh, It's, then- it's, it's talking to someone online. Are you okay? Yeah, fine. Move on. Take- okay. Yeah, all right. I, th- I think we've got to cover that. So what Andrew's talking about is... And, you know, you have to make sure you're in the right position to ask the question. So if your energy is not right, then don't go about asking other people to hear their difficulties. Like you have to practice some self-protection here. But when you're in the right place and you're checking in with people and often people might say, yeah, I'm fine. If you say, are you okay? They say, are you fine? If you are concerned about them or just as a safety check, come back and ask them to say, oh, that's good to know because I know other people are really struggling. What are you doing that's helping you to be okay. There's two reasons to do that. One is because you're validating that they're doing something implicitly by asking them. So it's a really good validation. They get to tell you. So, you know, you get, well, actually, I guess that's three things. They get to tell you. So you do learn a skill or something that you can take to other people in the team. But importantly, if they're not okay, they won't. And they've just said it as a defense, like it's the wall that comes up. they, They actually won't be able to say what they're doing. And, you know, allow the pause it's sometimes it's nice, it's graceful to give people an out because they might not feel that they can talk at that time. So offer them a door, a grace to exit. So you might say, you know what, you can get back to me later when you think about it. So that's your grace to say, 
I can see that this is you might be uncomfortable you can leave and that's okay because you've made that human connection you've shown that you're open and then you could say you know some of the other th- people are doing these things so as as an example you're actually helping them even though you might not feel so obvious that you are if does mm. that make sense it's all very subtle but if you run it through you'll actually see that it really really works and what i took out of that learning is because i think are you okay day is great and there's a lot of mental health programs there's a lot more for men now as well acknowledging it is yeah. okay to not always be okay but what I took out of that with my male monkey mind is, you know, Nicola, are you okay? Yeah, okay, tick the box. Let's move on to the agenda. Yeah, yeah that's right. Nicola, are you okay? Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, explain more. What have you done the last week for fun or joy or laughter? Or what's okay? So I think it's just going that next layer in 2D because I can see you when you come to the room. You know, you've got the colourful scarf and the, you're looking vibrant, got the energy. You, that, that sixth sense we spoke about, you can feel the energy. It's really hard on a screen in 2D. So you can just go, are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. Move on. But I love going that next layer. And I also have that that off-ramp is a good one as well, giving someone permission to come back if they don't feel comfortable right now. So psychological safety. Awesome on connectedness. Pre-performance routines. Now, this is the one that when we first started with this one, while I didn't have in connectedness, and now it's so obvious, you were not sure about pre-performance routines and whether you had done them with your clients. Fill in the rest of the story. Yeah, because and it's funny because we had quite a semantic conversation, didn't we, about what performance means, and and um, and I was thinking from a psychological perspective, if people feel they're performing, often they don't feel they're being their true and genuine self, which isn't what we're talking about at all. But you know, it's really interesting to 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 hear these sort of different perspectives, and um, and I remember scratching my head, thinking, oh, this is Andrew's the jock side of Andrew, the person who's worked with all these amazing sports teams and and sports individuals coming out. And then when we chatted, we actually did realise that we're talking about the same thing, but it was a different language. So in, in psych speak, I often have clients who have some event coming up and it could be a job interview, it could be you know, a work appraisal. I had a government advisor having to go and attend a tribunal and they were very nervous. And I didn't call it a pre-performance routine but I called it something else. So what I was working with my clients was about them visualising. And when I say visual, I don't just mean, you know, vision in terms of one sense, but them imagining themselves and preparing for an event. So running it through their heads and preparing for it, anticipating presenting their best self in these dynamic environments. And we realised it's very similar. But, you you know, you remind me about what, what you were meaning by pre Well, I think I have the, the jocular lens on it. So if you're the brain nerd, I'm sometimes the jock nerd. Doesn't quite sound the same, does it? Or the physiology nerd. So pre-performance routine specific to sport is what an athlete does in the 60 to 90 minutes before the game, the race. That's the most critical part. But you've also got what they do the night before and there's a lot of rituals athletes will have and routines. It's also what they do after to recover. But but specifically, the, the area I do a lot with players is in that sort of 90 minutes to two hours in, in, in NRL where there's a physical warm-up, there's a psychological warm-up and we bring in all parts of the model. They don't sit in isolation. The yerk is inverted U hypothesis. So you've got the vertical axis is performance and the horizontal axis is alertness or arousal. And Nicola, I'm even trying to do this reverse to camera, confusing my mind. But what we want is five in that sweet spot between being ultimate levels of alertness and performance. Now, when you go too far over, it's excited energy. And that's where your performance diminishes. Now, if you're not in the zone, 
uh, at around a three out of 10, you know, you're tired, fatigued, or you're not there psychologically, performance diminishes. So it's getting in that sweet spot of performance. I could talk about sporting examples, but it may not have relevance for some of our listeners. So an example I'm going to include on this one. I don't know whether I've told you this story. A number of years ago, this story starts with, I was taking my makeup off. Do you want me to keep going? I've yeah, got your attention. Yeah, yeah. I've got so. the, I'm wondering about the colour of the wig. <laughs> I had just done uh, my regular segment on ABC News Breakfast. I was in Melbourne. I was actually in the dressing room uh, with lovely Kerry, the makeup and hair artist. I only need one of those things. I'm taking my makeup off and I've got the wipes and my phone rings. It was a CEO I'd work with and I answered and said, oh, hey, mate, I'm... How are you? He said, yeah, good. I just saw your segment. Um, what are you up to? I said, I'm taking my makeup off. And he went, I've right, too much information. I said, look, let me get out of here. I've just got to have a quick chat. Uh, and then I'll give you a call in 10 minutes. As I'm walking back across the Yarra, I rang him. And he said, just watching what you did, the segment about you know performance moments and getting ready, can I get you to work with one of my team? It's my CFO. I said, okay, what does he need? He said, he needs presentation skills. And I've told him he needs to work with you. I said, okay. So I rang him the following day, and let's say the CFO was totally disengaged, thought I'm some guy on who's done sport and doing a bit on TV and thought I'd have no connection with a CFO who does serious financial numbers in a top 50 ASX organization and market updates. So we had the first discussion. He didn't want to be talking to me. I didn't want to take him on as a client either, Nicola, but I told the CEO I'd look after him. We were like two goats running at each other and headbutting. But when I sat back and got out of the emotion, he was, he was very rude in that first meeting. But when I showed some compassion, I realized he was coming out of fear. So he was quite anxious about his job and felt threatened that I knew the CEO and thought I would judge him. He's actually a really nice guy underneath. We just had to you know, get rid of all the bullshit and strip it back and look at some skills to help him develop as a person. And once he looked at that as skills training, and I, I can remember we had that talk, he let go. And then put it into practice. And I'm really proud of where we got to. But it was, you know, you sometimes you get it's probably different in psychology, but in coaching, you have the first initial brief. And I'm very clear on I don't think every coach should be working with every person and vice versa. So it's important to have that needs analysis. But I told the CEO I'd work with him. And I was actually sitting there, oh, I don't know whether I want to work with this guy, but I've actually loved working with him. So a ASX listed organization market updates normally around 8.30, 9 o'clock. And so I, I went backwards on his pre-performance routine. What time do you get out of bed? He said, oh, I'm a, a night owl. I don't like mornings. Um, so I get out of bed at the last minute. I drive to work. What music do you listen to? Uh, ABC 702 Classic. Okay, keep going. Do you have breakfast? No. Do you get any sunlight or walk? No, not of a morning. I'm not a morning person. Have a coffee and some toast. And then he does the market update. Okay. And I got a, I got a copy of one of his updates. He was terrible. Shocking. Just reading the numbers and the figures. I said, come back and see me next week. I don't think it's a presentation problem. I think you've got a body clock and a pre-performance routine problem. Come back the next week. I said, all right, you're going to get up at 6 a.m. I don't like getting up early. I said, well, people don't like your updates, so you're going to change this. You're going to listen to Triple M or play some rock music. Oh, I don't like that. Well, mate, people don't like you when you listen to 702. Everything was his counterbalance, and I think he was doing it for fun. You're going to go for a walk for 15 minutes, get some sunlight. Uh, I need you to have a protein. I've got a protein smoothie. And then I gave him a few little things uh, as well as around performance because he was reading and you'd work with people on this, right? Newsreaders, actors. And if if they don't go on muscle memory and knowing that they've done the work, that's confidence, right? Confidence is one, knowing you've done the work and two, backing yourself. He wasn't backing himself. He was thinking he had to talk the numbers. No, no, the analysts were there. They wanted to hear the story. Where's the company going? They can look at the spreadsheet. And I said, look, don't go deep in the numbers. Get a few bullet points. That was his pre-performance routine. I get a phone call three months later from the CEO. What have you done with insert 
name here. Uh, he said, his presentation skills, what you've done is amazing. Th- thank you. I said, I did nothing with his presentation skills. He just had a terrible pre-performance routine and his body clock was out of whack. I did a little bit on presentation. And he said, um, like he's gone from really bad to, to, to average. He said, for a CFO, that's amazing. Thank you. <laughs> um, but the point being, it was his pre-performance routine that was totally, and it, I'm not just getting a bit theatrical on this, it, it was impacting his job to the point he would have lost his job if he didn't put in a pre-performance routine and understand the importance of getting his body and brain into a better state before the big moment a couple of times a year, which is market update. He just hadn't hadn't put that into to, to meaning in his mind. He just thought, no, I'm the numbers guy. But he yeah. hadn't thought about the presentation. Huge impact that had on him. And it's funny listening to you. There's a couple of things. I mean, I've seen a, a person in the financial industry and they had to make pitches for you know international takeover kind of things and they were getting more and more nervous and it was the same kind of thing but the, you talked about the body and the brain and the pre-performance but he also needed to work on on his mind because his internal dialogue was setting himself up to fail so it's all those things pre-performance all of those things but what I was going to say listening to that story is that this is exactly mental skills because some of those things we've talked about this got the mind the internal dialogue is the storytelling. And this is why, you know, you need to make sure you get the basics right. You need to make sure you've got the diet. You need to make sure you've got the sleep. You need to make sure you've got the the, the personal story, the storytelling right. And then you, you can come up and you come up to the high performance level. And this is exactly what we're talking about. Well, it goes deeper. It goes deeper because I, I ended up coaching the CFO after that, not just in mental skills. He joined my program where I see clients four times a year. We do the first session, an hour, no, 90 minutes or two hours, map out what's the vision for their year, get them to look at a number of areas like their productivity, their mental skills, their energy, their influence, their leadership skills, um, drive. Where are they? Where do they want to be? And we look at that performance gap. So I've worked with him for a, a couple of years now. We did a lot of stuff on self-identity, which is really interesting as you say that because his whole role identity was on the CFO. Uh, and, and I think that was his whole lack of confidence because he hadn't explored other stuff. He's a father. He's a community member. He's now an ocean paddler. He now, you know, he's picked up the guitar again. He's got this really rich tapestry of skills. Oh, by the way, you're the CFO. Whereas he was just coming from that lens. I am my whole role identity. My self-identity is I'm a CFO. And that was holding him back so much. He would have been so boring. And I'm going to give this to him to listen to. You know who I'm talking to. I'm saying this with respect, mate. But you would have been so bloody boring to sit next to at a dinner party. Oh, my God. Now you're fun. Okay. <laughs> but uh, it's mental skills. It's totally changed not only his view of himself, but his story of where he fits in. Yeah. And, you know, if I just sort of because, you know, I like to do this sort of tie up the ends. Not only have we talked about the fact that there's all these different levels to this, but in terms of applying that to our audience here, we're talking about the importance of the, the body, the brain and the mind, how they're all interrelated. This is about people looking after all aspects of their life and making sure that they're looking after themselves in terms of their, their roles, their relationship with themselves, their relationship to their family and so forth. So, you know, great example because it can be extrapolated across to everybody. As I mentioned before, if you want more info, go to andrewmay.com slash Mental Skills Academy. I'm going to throw to you, wrap us up on this one. How do you want to end this podcast? Oh, can I go for my, my, my favourite? And that's self-kindness, you know, because we know that if we're kind to ourselves, and again, it's that 
personal narrative as well. If we're kind to ourselves and we care for ourselves, we're better able to care for other people. So, you know, sometimes I hear people saying that they feel selfish. Actually, it's not selfish at all. It's really important to look after yourself. So look in, look in, identify what your needs are, be kind, address those needs, and then you'll have the strength and the capacity and the skills to look out and care for other people. Love it. And if people do want to track you down on the interweb, where's the best place for them to connect with you? On my Through my website. So Nicola at brainandmindpsychology.com. Dr. Nicola, we could talk for hours and sometimes we do. Look, it's great when we catch up and I do learn more about the brain every time we talk. So thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you. Hey, it's Andrew, and we hope you enjoyed that episode. We would really appreciate it if you helped us amplify the Strive Stronger with Andrew May podcast by sharing episodes with colleagues and friends and going to iTunes and leaving a rating and review. This really does help us get this message out to a wider audience. And if you would like to know more about how Strive Stronger uplifts teams through optimizing human performance and well-being, make sure you check out strivestronger.com. And if you'd like to know more about my personal practice, focusing on all things human performance, go to andrewmade.com where you can explore the books I have written, including MatchFit, which has now sold over 85,000 copies, or book me as a speaker at your next annual conference or company offsite. Or if you'd like to really turbocharge your business and personal success and wake up to a better way of living, working and leading, check out my brand new evidence-based Human Performance Academy that starts in July. I'm really, really looking forward to getting that going. And if you'd like to receive regular updates from me each month, make sure you subscribe to my monthly e-newsletter, the AM edition.